Hi, I'm Carissa Schlott. And I am Sharice Schlott. Welcome to Between Between Us, a podcast that highlights our relationship as sisters, providing a safe space to share our stories. These conversations highlight unity and connection, the through lines that connect all of us as human beings. Before we dive in, we would like to highlight that the views expressed in each episode are a product of our own research and experiences. Our opinions are not representative of any professional affiliations we may have. Episode 2, Justice, Not Vengeance. Lieutenant Dave Grossman. Our first guest has 31 years in law enforcement. This experience brings a unique perspective to his field. He grew up in a small farming community in southern Alberta. He is a father, an athlete, and an activist. He is also an avid movie, television, and music buff with a sincere appreciation for all artists. And he has been on set as a movie extra and commercial actor, in addition to being a coach and father to four boys. Please welcome David Stewart. Rock and roll. All right, kick it off, sis. Today, welcome to episode two with David Stewart. A pseudonym and someone that we've known for a very long time. Welcome, Dave. Good afternoon and welcome to you as well. Thanks for having me. We'll start off with our relationship with Dave. We've been fortunate enough to know him our entire lives because he is our uncle. And And Sharice's godfather. Make him an author you can't refuse. (laughs) (laughs) So yes, we, we know you very well, but I think this conversation will be really exciting to explore even things about you that we don't know or we may or may not know. Yeah, and one thing that we know for sure is that your story matters. Um, I was, I felt so grateful and fortunate to be a part of uh, your recent retirement party in which the amount of love and appreciation that was in that room for the impact that you've had on the lives of all of the coworkers and the people that you've worked with was one of the most incredible things I've ever been a part of. Um, I mean, we obviously love you, mm-hmm. but it was so powerful to see, yeah, just a room full of other people who also uh, love and admire you and to hear all of the wonderful things that they had to say about how you've touched their lives. Well, thank you. That's a, that's a hell of a compliment. It was a, it was a great evening. So thank you. Yeah, it was a beautiful celebration. And and it was one of those celebrations that sometimes there's a lot of sadness accompanied with retirement, but it was it was truly a celebration of of life and your existence and I could also tell that people truly saw you, your character. It wasn't it was um not just about your title or yeah, it was about you as a person and celebrating that. You're starting off by trying to get me emotional, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'd love to ask um, for you to tell our listeners, like, what exactly is it that you do for work? You want me to start from the beginning? Yes, sure. please. Okay, well, as you know, I grew up in, in a farming, ranching family, and it was a great way to grow up, and I wouldn't uh, wouldn't change that for anything. But in my early teen years, I knew, I know my dad wanted me to farm, but I knew that I didn't want to farm. And years later, many years later, I reflected that I was kind of Luke Skywalker, you know, he didn't want to be on the farm as a teenager either. And he wanted adventure. And, you know, I, that was one of my first favorite movies, coincidentally enough, but I didn't make that connection that I was, um, that felt the same way that he did till years later. So anyway, yeah, I wanted adventure. I went to university, enjoyed university. It was, it was more challenging than high school, certainly, except for the friendships were better, but the academic, academic portion was more challenging. 
about halfway through my university career, I decided I wanted to either do something law enforcement or, or military related. And so I guess my first uh, job in the law enforcement community was as a park ranger, seasonal park ranger. And that was really fun. You're, uh, you get to help a lot of people. Um, you get to look after the environment. You get to look after wildlife. And you get to have some fun with with difficult people. And that, and that was fun too. So you learned about teamwork. And then after that, I went into the into the Canadian Armed Forces. The training was extremely, extremely stressful and difficult, more, more than I anticipated. Growing up, you know, farming certainly gives you, certain ranching gives you a lot of ways. You learn how to accomplish things and how to do things. But this was really a different situation. And of course, I went into to leadership, which was the big challenging part. So life on the base was was not as difficult because you were you'd get up at five in the morning you'd have an hour of pt you had a half hour to shower and have breakfast and then you'd head to classes or more pt classes but you got to eat you got to sleep so you were able to recover and process things but when you went on maneuvers in the field and you go for three or four days without sleep and with very little tea that's when i struggled but the nice thing about it was um, as difficult as that training was it made the rest of the training that I did in my life a lot easier because I did the tough, tough training first. And how did you make it through that? Like during those days where you weren't sleeping or eating very little, what kept you going? Well, that, that, that's when I learned stuff about myself. I learned that I'm, I'm not the person I need food. I think that runs in the family. We have capitalism. <laughs> so I learned that I need food. I can't go. My brain doesn't work if I don't have food. Sleep I can probably do without for bigger part of it but not the food so that was something i learned about myself also learned about teamwork like as much as i learned as a park ranger we had a great team there i learned a lot more about teamwork in the military because you know you're basically you could be in a situation where you're putting your life on the line for others well and i thought it was interesting that you said the conflict or dealing with difficult people was fun and I like that perspective because I uh, I would not say I have the same experience. <laughs> yeah. So I, I just like that. That's how you viewed that or perceived that. Yeah. So after the Armed Forces, I joined what was called Canada Customs at the time. And again, that I, that was a really fun career. And that's when we talked about me retiring. I guess almost about 31 years I, I was there. And I spent half a little, little under half of that time in uniform and for that time doing working in the in, a, in the field of intelligence. You, you mentioned about my retirement party. Uh, you know, I don't have any regrets because I had fun the entire way through. I enjoyed, I found good people to work for. That was one of the keys to my surviving a long career in government, is finding good supervisors to work for that trusted you. And I, I wanted to work and I wanted to get the job done. And I knew how important the work is in that field. I was very fortunate. Well, and it's true. I think as the saying goes, like people don't quit jobs, people quit people. If we find a group of people to really connect with and to build meaningful relationships with, that that in and of itself was the reason that you were able to survive in a very high stakes, high stress industry and job field for so long. Yeah, and there was a lot of things to do. Like I find, I found and find that a lot of people don't enjoy their careers. So I made sure I found strategies to make sure that I wouldn't get to that. So one of the first things I did was I tried to take all of the t overtime I worked off in time instead of taking in money. And that's so I wouldn't get burned out so that I could spend time with my family doing the things I enjoyed. So that was one of the one of the things I decided very early in my career. What other things did you do to stay well? Shift work is hard on the body and mentally as well. So one of the things I did was I made sure I would maintain a level of fitness. It's always been a, something I enjoy doing, which is fortunate. So fitness is big. 
and that includes um, not just like working out, but playing hockey. I played hockey now for, I guess, 52 years. And just, that's probably the one thing I'm missing most about the pandemic is playing hockey. I also find things to relieve my stress. One of the things is spending time with family, you two and, uh, you know, and your mom and, you know, my kids. So all those things are, are really important. And then other things going to movies. Movies are an escape for me. If it's a good movie or if it's a good TV program, I can just let myself believe what's what I'm watching and I can just, you know, decompress and and sort of believe and escape. So I find probably of all the things for me, if I'm really under a lot of stress, I find a good movie is my probably my best relief. And so neat because before the movie situation, I think for me what stands out is as your buffer is like immense sense of community. So you had a sense of community at work. You have a sense of community outside of work, very much people-centered and and team mindset-centered. They say that relationships and community and belonging are the biggest buffer to stress. And so I really hear that come through in your work and outside of work as well. And I think you found very healthy coping mechanisms, right? So things like physical fitness and exercise and I mean, there's a lot worse choices for escapism than watching a movie, which might I add, I'm so grateful that you shared your passion of movies with us. I think both Sharice and I uh, find the same enjoyment from uh, a good movie and, and that escapism that it provides and something that we're I'm passing on to my own children. So thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I love, the, I love outdoors too. So hiking, mountain biking. You know, nature is a, a fantastic thing. And I, I'm pretty fortunate that I spent most of my time living in rural areas. So it's makes it a lot, lot easier to do. I don't have to drive to do any of that stuff. I can step out my door. Yeah. And I think that's also so connected to your farm roots too, right? It's almost completing that cycle of being so near nature. Mm-hmm. Did you ever um, witness or experience discrimination during your time? Yes, I did. Um, I really hope that I didn't practice it in it unintentionally or intentionally. I I think I was very fortunate, as you know, to be raised by Papa Pete, your Papa Pete. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was a very kind man. But I did witness it right very, very early on when I started with uh, with custom. My first posting was on the U.S. border, U.S.-Canadian border, where there was a, a group of Indigenous people on both sides of the border that were interconnected. Uh, so they crossed f- to visit friends and family all the time. So we that was a busy part of our traffic, particularly on weekends. So I was surprised that people that I had just, and this was early on in my career, so it was the first six months of my career where I worked at that location. And I was quite surprised that people that I had respected and saw their work and I was learning from, and not, I'm not saying all people, but I did see it in, in, a, in, in a few people. When a First Nations person was crossing the border, their demeanor and their tone changed. Wow. So what I made a conscious decision for myself was that I wasn't going to, treat people differently turns out you know now that's not enough i realize that now so early in my career i did what i i could do to make sure i wasn't that person but halfway through my career i realized no you have to do more than that you have to speak out you have to step in Mm -hmm. i also saw saw it once against a couple of african-american truck drivers where somebody was treating them badly and Mm -hmm. And I, I still, this, that still bugs me because I was, I was a young man and um, 
the other officer was much older than I was. And I was offended by the way he was treating them, but I didn't intervene. I spoke to him after, but I didn't intervene. I spoke to a supervisor and I should have intervened in the moment. So appreciate your transparency with that and and even the vulnerability to to admit um, that you could have done more. But I, I go back to always, I think we do the best we have with what we know. And it's it's difficult, A, when you're young and there's different authority figures and different positions that you're, there's a natural order of reporting, that kind of thing. And I know that can really interfere with just the ability to feel safe and secure enough to challenge that. What do you feel like you did as an ally? So not necessarily even for race, but for females in law enforcement. Well, the one thing I want to say about our agency is the agency that I worked for was I didn't see sexism. Men and women were treated equally. Mm -hmm. I saw it in other agencies. I saw it when I joined the military because when I joined the military, the year that I went for training was the first time women were allowed in combat arms positions. That was 1988. So I had heard, you know, indirectly comments that some people didn't like it. And I saw that in agencies like the RCMP as well, when I'd hear comments being made. I'm not trying to say all officers were that way, but fortunately, the agency that I worked for was not that way and towards women, which I was glad to see. And and maybe that contributed to part of your staying in, in the field for so long, is that you did see growth or opportunity for equality. And the other thing that actually came to mind with you saying you'd been there for 31 years is it seems like you had the opportunity because it was a big enough organization for movement, right? So even if you were in an area that didn't really feel supportive or a good fit, you could move somewhere else or even, like you said, find the supervisors you enjoyed and then move on to their team in some respects. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely right. And I'm also curious, so when you kind of, when you witnessed people you really looked up to and you admired and then you witnessed them acting in less than optimal ways. Did that disenfranchise you? Did that dishearten you? Did it create any bitterness? No, um, I just wanted to understand it, I think. You know, one of one of those people was my friend and, and, and he was Métis himself. He had life issues and so he wasn't always at his best. So sometimes he didn't, and he didn't treat people wrong because of race or religion, but sometimes he just wasn't in his best. So. You know, sometimes you learn what not to do from people, I guess, is the way I looked at it. Hmm, that's cool. You, it sounds like you have a really, almost like that growth mindset where instead of, I think that's something I struggle with when I'm immersed in an environment, if I see an action or behavior that doesn't fit with my values, I have a really hard time. If the organization isn't standing behind it in some way, I would have a really hard time staying um, invested or like continuing to buy into that organization. So it's it's neat that that didn't impact A, your job or B, the passion for your work. Yeah, the one thing I that I did and I'm glad I did and I still reflect on it because I, I actually enjoyed doing it as well was when I worked between the two Indigenous lands, Sunday night was a big night because they'd be coming home from the weekends. So the Canadians would be coming back. And so there'd be a lot of them coming just before closing and we'd have our parking lot full of vehicles and they'd be visiting. And sometimes we'd get, I'd need to go out and do a secondary examination of one of them. And then when the exam was done, I'd just drop an end gate and sit and visit with them. That served me well. Yeah, recognizing the, yeah, recognizing the humanity in everyone. Mm -hmm. And like you said, that was so part of Papa Pete's philosophy surviving the war era and he still came out of that with 
I would say he's like, it was almost like an activist in his own right. He was just so invested in equality. He treated everyone with the same level of kindness. He showed vulnerability. Mm -hmm. He was, I think, like far ahead of his time. Like I remember um, watching him cry as a child. And I I think that moment struck me because it was the first time I think I had seen a male in my life cry. Um, And his kindness towards animals. Uh, I don't know how many cats there were at the farm, but there was a lot of them. (laughs) They were all very well fed. Um, But his kindness towards all beings. Mm -hmm. And that's a thread I think that um, has carried on strong, loud, and clear <laughs> in his bloodline. Yeah, and, you know, we used, I don't know what, sorry, I'm interrupting. I don't know if, if you saw it, but I certainly saw, you know, we would enjoy seeing Daddy get emotional watching TV shows. or And then when I became a father, my kids would laugh at me for, for the same thing. But I just said, that's fine. It's going gonna, it's gonna to hit you one day too, so. <laughs> and it has. And so be- so beautiful that you were comfortable enough with yourself and your own masculinity that you were able to embrace that because I think we need a lot more of that in the world. And I know there's even more barriers to men being vulnerable is is viewed as a weakness and, you know, you're supposed to be tough and strong and the only emotions you can have are anger and happiness. (laughs) And I think it's just such a courageous act to actively go against those notions of masculinity. To take off a mask that we all wear, and to show people who you really are. Mm-hmm. I'm curious what advice you would share with somebody who is just coming into law enforcement. So what are one or two key things that you hoped they they know? I think one of the biggest things is you don't get to decide who you're policing or who you're, 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 you're serving mm. the public, right? So you don't get to decide. And I see some people in some services think they just get to help certain people, but they can not help other people that might need help. And that's not your choice. So first of all, you're there to help everyone. I think that's a key piece. I think another thing too is finding that balance of like I did where you're not getting to your point where you're burned out. Because when you get, when you're overworking, you're not just affecting your mental health of yourself, but you're affecting the way you treat other people. That, that's a big one. And you're affecting your family, your family life. You're bringing that stuff home. You, you, you don't want, you don't mm-hmm. need to bring that stuff home. So those are important things. And I think probably the, the biggest thing is just to be kind. Yeah, like that saying where we're everybody's walking around with um, struggles and wounds that nobody knows about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Be kind. Mm-hmm. Again, just a testament to even your perspective on law enforcement, that, that you use the word serving, right, rather than enforcing. And I think that is probably why we're all such kindred spirits because we all have that mind of servitude and and that's what also fuels both Chris and I to be in service of something. Mm-hmm. You certainly are incredible in that capacity, both of you. Thank you. Thank you. You inspire me. <laughs> Likewise. And what do you hope your legacy will be? Well, the one thing, um, the one legacy, I guess I have, and my work partner, Mark and I, we, we did a lot of damage in, in the 18 years that I was in Intel and he was in longer than me and and retired a couple of years before me, but we took a lot of guns and drugs off the street, uh, prevented them from getting to the street. 
because um, of course when it's coming across the border it's large quantities and it's for distribution eventually to the street level we made a very significant impact also there's a there were some cases i had when i was in uniform that i didn't see others you know for making you no know, i was able to recover a couple of abducted children mm, wow of course those are go you know i don't have to explain the impact of that uh, there was one case of a, of a of a battered woman coming across the border and it was a really odd situation until I, I figured out what it was. You know, of course, you're thinking that there's something going on with this person. But once I figured out what it was, I found a place for her to find shelter. And so I was glad to make those kind of impacts That's that you don't see. You know, I don't see a, that happening very often. And something that I think even surpasses your training, mm-hmm. that you relied on your intuition likely in those moments to realize something is not right here and to not just accept the story at face value but to ask more questions i can remember you also sharing a story with us one night yeah talking about i don't know if there was a a potential bomb threat or something but i i just remember you uh saying that your colleagues hadn't taken it quite seriously enough or and again you use that intuition would you mind sharing a piece of that story yeah i can so you know Sometimes we deal with issues that affect national security at the border, obviously. And when those things come through, of course, that's the number one priority of anything else that's going on. So I'd received a call from my my boss's boss that there was something going on at the specific border crossing. And could I get down there? He didn't know the details. So I went, I went, I attended the port. I, I parked at an area where I'd be walking through the lobby to go into uh, my office and stuff. So I could try and grasp what was going on, maybe on my way in. And of course, I was, I'm a plain clothes guy, so I can just look like a, a tourist walking through or a visitor. So I walked through and I saw this individual pacing, uh, holding his phone, walking, pacing in the lobby. And I'm like, okay, this guy's, something's going on with this guy. And, and that's amongst an office full of people. So I got into the back and I started speaking to the staff that were working. And I called the chief because the chief of the operation uh, had requested that I call him when I got there. And... He filled me in that um, this was, I won't give you all the details, but it was this incident of concern to national security and certainly, you know, use the word bombs. Of course, that was a potential threat. So this person hadn't been patted down. He hadn't been, I think his vehicle had been examined, but I don't think he was patted down or or anything of that nature. And and RCMP was in attendance at that time too. So, and I asked asked the RCMP, did you frisk this person no no one has so i quickly tooled up and walked into i told our staff clear the lobby so i asked all the them to get the visit all the remaining visitors and um civilians out of the out of the lobby and then yeah i took control of the situation made sure he had nothing i'm separated him from his phone so there was a group of officers that were dealing with it and i knew the skill sets of those officers so i asked the officer who had great skill with electronics to examine the phone which we have authority to do under the Customs Act in certain circumstances, and this one certainly warranted it. And other officers too, one officer who was good with interviews to attend the interview with me. And and then I realized the next person that I was going to give a task to was the supervisor. I'm like, and this is your operation. Are you okay with all this? And he's like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we went, and we went to work and, and yeah. And you know, that person it, in my mind and and what came of it since then, is a concern to our national security. So yeah, there, 
I guess when you were asking me the question earlier about what other advice could you give to people is rely, really kind of rely on that training because our training is, is, is really quite good on what to do, how to manage safety. And, and you're not just looking after your own safety, but you're looking after the other safety of the other officers around you and the public around you. So I find almost every law enforcement agency that I've witnessed or worked amongst or with, there's not enough of that. We're not taking enough of those precautions. I think part of the reason it was easy for me to recognize those things was for the first about half of my career, maybe a little bit more, we were unarmed and we were dealing with people coming across the border. You know, a lot of Americans who were armed, probably the most armed society in the history of the world. And we're dealing with them without tools to be able to appropriately deal with it. Right. So, you know, I've had to, you have to take precautions when you have threat cues for weapons, you have to take precautions to prevent them from getting to them or accessing them before you do. So I used to frisk a lot of people on the job when there was, you know, indicators of firearms or, you know, you come across a holster ammunition that you got to go right to that person before anything and make sure they don't have it on them. So those kind of things had to learn that early. And then I became an activist in our, in our association or union as well in my career. And one of the things we fought for was arming and, and we did achieve that, of course, about 15 years ago, I guess, yeah, 15 years ago, 2006. Do you think things like self-defense should be taught in schools? No, I don't think so. That's a tough question, but, but we have, we got to be careful with teaching it at the school level because here, here's the way I see it. If you don't, if you're teaching it to everyone, it's going to be misuse. So there's going to be the bullies of the world. They're going to use that to intimidate. Um, on the other hand, I see the, I see where you're coming from with the question, right? Um, this particular women are victims of a lot of a, assaults and sexual assaults and abuse and those skill sets. You know, I've talked to, showed you some tricks along the way, right? Yes, yeah. you have. That's what I was going to say. Where For the allyship, um, you often would, whenever you'd come visit, you would often give us some uh, self-protection or self-defense training, which I always enjoyed and appreciated. It, was, it, it felt fun and playful, but it was nice to know that I had something in the case that, you know, my safety was really threatened. Yeah, I'm thankful uh, to not have had to use it in my mm -hmm. life so far, but it is empowering to know that I have a few things that my body has been trained to do to know how to get out of certain situations if I am placed in them. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, and the trick is not to overcomplicate it, just a couple simple moves to break free more than anything, right, and escape. So, yeah. Overtraining creates, then your mind doesn't know what to do. But if you got, a, you know, two or three things that two or three moves, you know, one, if you're grabbed from behind, one, if you're grabbed from the front, one, if you're being choked, you know, just those few that I showed you. Yeah. You know, I would want my loved ones to have that training, but I don't think school's the place to learn it, is my opinion. No, absolutely. I love that answer. Yeah. Um, and given the current state of the world and all that's happening with the Black Lives Matter movement and the 215 children that were found at the BC Residential School. I guess as settlers, we all stand in solidarity with the Indigenous peoples of Canada, but I'm curious what advice you have for how we can all be better allies. Well, I think first of all, you know, I know that the two of you and, and our family sees, sees this for what it is. 
but I don't think a lot of society sees it the way it is. And first thing we need to do is we need education mm-hmm. at a very early level. I think blanket exercises, mm-hmm. for those of you who know what blanket exercises are, it's a way to teach uh, the history that makes you feel like you're living it. So I think that should be a part of education of every Canadian. Wow. Yeah. That'd be a really good start. Everything starts with awareness. Yeah, education and awareness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I think I think we need to be a lot more Christian. Mm-hmm. There's a lot, most people are, don't get me wrong, but you know, the loud uh, minority that have been speaking up this last, particularly since the pandemic, there's a lot of, you know, frustration and anger and negativity out there amongst um, certain groups. And yeah, I'm, I'm struggling with, you know, the anti-maskers and the people that are thinking about their own individual needs and not thinking about the safety of society. So I, I, I think we, we certainly need to improve. And that goes along with the empathy towards indigenous people, people of race. I'm just curious when you say the word Christian, what do you mean by that? Well, to me, those Christian values of, you know, turning the other cheek, of not judging, of, you know, let people decide what they want to do for themselves and protesting against people going in for their vaccinations. Are you kidding me? People breaking, make, making super spreader events to protest masks and saying that, it, you know, you're comparing it to, to Nazi Germany. How dare you compare that to Nazi Germany, where millions of people were killed and, and gassed in chambers and starved to death and murdered and how dare you compare that to having to wear a mask and the funny thing that comes up for me is you know so the the anti-mask is about their individual rights and freedoms but yet they're protesting against the people that are getting their vaccine they are using their individual rights and freedoms to get the vaccine so it's kind of contradictory because now they're saying i want my rights and freedoms but i'm infringing on others rights and freedoms (laughs) so it's it's a little bit of an oxymoron Yeah. And I am all for like, everybody has a choice, like make the choice that is best for you and best for your family. And where possible, show kindness towards people that choose a different choice, Mm -hmm. but don't put other people at risk because of your own individual choice. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Okay. this I feel like this could take a real left turn. (laughs) Sorry, you got me. me. Yeah. 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 No, that's okay. Let's move into our fast five questions. Perfect. Okay. First question. This one was handpicked for you. If you had one superpower, what would you choose? Well, when I was a kid, I had, I thought about that a lot because, you know, I was a big uh, comic book guy. And so, you know, Spider-Man was one of my favorites, Um, you know, a teenager with, you know, spider sense and super strength and, you know, fighting bad guys. Maybe that was part of my part of my upbringing and believing in justice. But as I got older, I just learned that, you know what, I appreciate what I have. I don't think I, I don't think I need a superpower. I appreciate the, the abilities and the, what I've learned from, from my father and my family and my sister and my nieces and nephews and good friends, but Hey, who wouldn't want to be, um, have that ability to heal others. That'd be pretty cool. If you could just touch someone and, Heal, heal them. That'd be pretty cool, I guess. Yeah, I feel like you are your superpower. <laughs> that's cool. Well, I did have the nickname Super. Yes, Dave. that's true. <laughs> that's Super true. Dave. Super Dave. Yep. And in contrast, what is your kryptonite? Well, I think you both know I'm a sucker for a pretty face and a smile. 
So <laughs> yeah, yep. that, uh, that's affecting me in my personal life and in my professional life. I found, I think probably by being, growing up with uh, three sisters, I, and the aunts that I had and grandparents, I just always thought women were to be completely honest because that's what my experience in life was. So, you know, I'd had to learn, I had to learn in my law enforcement career. Not all people are honest, no matter if they're men or women. I had to learn that. And also, even when I started working for, uh, for customs at finding people that I, you know, elderly people would sometimes smuggle. That was a surprise to me. So yeah, you learn things along the way, certainly. Yeah. And sometimes learn the hard way. Yeah. And it hurts a little, yep. actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Okay. What is the best or worst advice you've ever received? Oh boy, that's a tricky one. Uh, I would say I'm going to go with with worst advice because I kind of had a philosophy. Had being a being a divorced single dad, I had a sort of a philosophy that I need to make my kids my number one priority. And I got some advice from a counselor once when I was having relationship tr- troubles that I needed to put my kids second and my partner first. And I think in some situations that would have been good advice, but in the situation I was in, it wasn't good advice because my partner's best interests weren't in my kids. Um, so that was a, I took that advice and I shouldn't have taken that advice as it turns out in my mind now after the fact. But yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. You're welcome. And are you an early bird or a night owl? Well, we're all night owls, aren't we in this group of three? <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's what uh, I love that, that we're doing this. Yeah. As a good afternoon instead of a good morning, because yeah, no, no mornings if we can avoid. <laughs> if I can avoid it, I don't know. Chris is more of a morning person now with having kids, but that wasn't a free will. That was uh, a symptom of having children, who I love and admire and adore. Um, but yes, I would prefer the night as well. So, what is your dream or vision for the world? I guess I'll go back to what I got a little bit passionate about before when we were speaking. I think I would just like people to be a little bit more understanding of others and less judgmental and less, less harsh. I said earlier, be kind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Beautiful. There's no better way to end it. Be kind. Be kind. Thank you, Uncle Dave. Thank you. David Stewart, everyone. Don't forget the name. Thank you. I appreciate (laughs) you both. Okay. Bye. Love you. Love you. Love you. Hi, my name. Bodie, I hope you stay safe. Hi, my name is Gabe. I hope you have a great day. Audio production by Joel Vargasi at Lewis Studios.